with the, the 500th anniversary celebration of, of the Reformation that I mentioned earlier that we are hosting here next Sunday night is in a way overshadowing our own church's anniversary celebration. On the 31st of this month, we celebrate the five-year anniversary of God's intervention on our behalf to do what almost everyone thought at that time was impossible. And that is to purchase these buildings here at 43 Wentworth Street so that this sanctuary remains a place of vibrant worship as it was this morning. Don't you agree? So that this sanctuary remains a gospel presence in downtown Charleston instead of a five-bedroom private residence. See, God has a plan for us. And if you aren't reading your blast, I suggest that you do it. Gray has been running uh, little articles all month from the newspaper from five years ago, telling our story. So read the blast and look for those. The impossible part that I mentioned would, of course, being be the, the fact that we were given 90 days to raise $1.6 million to buy this place. During those days, we were at times joyful because so many in the congregation pledged sacrificially. Some gave significant gifts to us. One couple from outside of the church said, Hey, here's a million dollars. It's a loan, really low interest. A bank would have never given us a loan for a million dollars, and certainly not in 90 days, but the Lord has a plan for us. At other times, During those 90 days, we were confused. Sometimes we were a little angry. God allowed things to happen, like allowing the zoning board to illegally change the zoning on this building. We were sure that if God had not done that, then nobody would want to buy them and we would safely be here. But even in that, God had plans for us. Even after the purchase, people were taking bets, giving odds on us. The generous would say, oh, they'll make it six months and then they're fold. They won't be able to pay the mortgage. They'll never be able to pay the upkeep on those buildings. But God had a plan for us and provision as well. Because we never imagined that zoning change that we pleaded with God, don't let it happen. That God would use that to allow us to rent part of that building for the next four and a half years Reducing our debt by more than one-third. God had a plan for us. And so as always, God sees what we do not see. As always, God knows what we don't know. As always, God overrides what we think is good and best for what He knows is good and best. And that's the exciting part of the Christian life. Do you get excited about the Christian life? It's so exciting to know that you as individuals, we together as a church, are on this great adventure with God. And we don't know where he's taking us. And we don't know where the adventure is going to end for us on this earth. But we know that God has plans for us. And I know that if we're going to flourish here in this place where God has planted us, 
then our dreams and our plans must always be subordinate to God's plans for us. I know that if we're going to flourish here in this place that God has miraculously allowed us to inhabit, we've got to joyfully take our part in fulfilling his plan. So this morning, I'm raising an Ebenezer. You know what an Ebenezer is? It means simply this. Thus far has the Lord led us. So Lord, here's our Ebenezer. Thus far have you led us, and we are thankful. Are you thankful? Is that not a great story? Is God not great to us? Yes, he is. So here's our Ebenezer. Thank you, Lord. And then I'll I'll put this challenge out before us, that that we would pray this prayer. Lord, we don't know what your future plans for uh, us are, but as you reveal those plans, may we eagerly take our part in them. Lord, we don't know what your plan is for us. But as you reveal it to us, let us joyfully and eagerly take our part in them. That's what I hope we'll be inspired to do this morning as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Deuteronomy 34. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali and the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come again to your word. Father, we pray that you would humble us before it, knowing that words we read, these words are true words, true words, in this world, inspired by your spirit. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to order and reorder and reorient our life around your truth. Do it now for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. You know, if we want to keep the word of God, the vibrant, living truth that it is, and not just dry propositions, then we need to attempt to enter into these moments where the human and the divine intersect. The moment where human dreams and God's will collide. This is one of those moments. And we need to watch what happens in these moments. We need to Watch for God. What does he say in these moments? What does he do in those moments? And we learn from them. As Moses stands atop Mount Pisgah, he experiences a clash of dreams or plans, even in this moment where God is showing him by his grace and his mercy the entirety of the promised land. Even as spectacular as that view must have been to Moses, seeing the land, 
is not what Moses had dreamed about. It's not what Moses wanted the most. Moses' great adventure with God on this earth is coming to an end. And the part that God had called him to play is not the part Moses dreamed of having. Moses dreamed of crossing over the Jordan, of leading the people into the promised land. Possibly Moses dreamed of retiring in the promised land, enjoying the fruits of his many years of tedious labor and leading these people. Maybe he planned on a three-bedroom condo on the Sea of Galilee. I don't know. But it's possible that Moses saw all of his life that had gone before this moment as a warm-up, a preparation for fulfilling this great dream of living in the promised land. You can hear that. We can hear that in Moses' own words in Deuteronomy chapter 3. He says, he tells on himself, I pleaded with the Lord, saying, O Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Do you hear it? Do you hear what Moses is saying? Lord, you've only begun to show me. Lord, you and I, we are just getting warmed up. We're just getting started. What we have seen already is only a small part of the greatness we will experience and do together. And so Moses advocates For his dream, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. But the Lord was angry with me and said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. And so as it turns out, for Moses, the life that he had lived was not just a warm-up for something bigger. No matter what he thought, No matter what he wanted, this is all the Lord had for him. What Moses had already done, that was God's part for him and there would be no more. And so here's the challenge for us this morning. Don't live any day like it is a warm-up to something bigger. Don't live any day that the Lord gives you as a warm-up to something bigger. That just puts your life in a holding pattern. It keeps you from seeing what you are doing in this moment as valuable. Or even worse, it causes you to put off doing something valuable until later because after all, this is just the warm-up. It's the quickest way to fritter away And waste a life. Because we are waiting for something else. Because we're waiting for something bigger. If that were the way. That God wanted you and me to live our lives. He would not tell us in his word. Make the most of every opportunity. And that's what he tells us. In Colossians 4 and Ephesians 5. Make the most of every moment. This is the moment right now. This is the moment of which you and I are to make the most. We don't waste it because our plans for ourselves include something we believe bigger or better 
that's coming along down the road. And when you are young, many of you are young. I used to be young. I'm not anymore. But it's easy to fall into this thinking, right? Ah, 20s, my 30s, this is just warm up for something bigger down the road. Don't waste your life that way. You don't know when you are playing the most important role that God has for you. Moses' life was not a warm-up to the greater plan he had for himself. It was the plan. It was the part God had for him, and it was all that God had for him. Clearly, we know that means that Moses' dream went unfulfilled, but God's dream would not. God's plan is big. He was going to give as a gift this entire promised land to people who did not yet even exist. That's what he promised. And when they did come into existence, and when they had multiplied into nation status, they would occupy this land. And from this very land that Moses is looking at, Jesus would be born, right? Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the hope of the nations. Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Moses didn't even know the person of Jesus Christ. But God used Moses to bring about the fullness of time into which Jesus would be born. And so when you put Jesus and who he is and what he will do when he comes and what he will continue to do when he returns to heaven, when you put that beside Moses and his disappointment in not being able to enter the promised land, the disappointment does not seem so significant to us. But it was significant to Moses at the time. All, can he, all he can experience are his feelings in the moment. And it's disappointment. But that's just the point. Here's the place of learning for you and for me. When we enter into the story of Moses then you and I are obligated to get past our own personal disappointments because we know that in actuality they are insignificant in light of God's big plan. When we enter into the story of Moses, we know that our ever-present God is present with us in the midst of that disappointment just as God was right there with Moses on Mount Pisgah in the moment of his greatest disappointment. Ultimately, Moses had to be satisfied with his part in God's plan and release that plan, release that dream, release his grip on it, let it go and submit to God's plan when there's conflict between the two. I have been in ministry for 25 years. And I've seen a lot of people who grasp after things, even in the church, that God never allows them to reach. I've done my own grasping. All of us have done that. And often the things after which we grasp, they're, they're good things. They're, they're good things. They're just not what God has for us. He has something different. And so I've seen in those people, and even to a degree myself, the frustration that comes grasping for something the Lord doesn't allow. Seeing the manipulation 
that's present. What graspers do to get what they want. And how they use people to get what they want. Always harmful and hurtful. Think again about Moses. His part in the plan was not to bring God's people into the promised land. Though he grasped for it, that part God had given to Joshua. All that Moses dreamed of doing, all that Moses dreamed of experiencing would instead be experienced by Joshua. Think of how that could have impacted their relationship. It could have turned into an underlying envy or even an exposed rivalry. Moses could have used his position and his power to diminish Joshua in the eyes of the other people, to undermine his ability to lead them well. And again, I'm just trying to keep it real, trying to help us enter into those feelings that we experience when someone else gets what we want or when someone else gets to do the thing that we want to do. Moses could have sabotaged Joshua. He could have envied him and punished him out of bitterness. But look at verse 9. Look what Moses chose to do instead. Moses laid his hands on Joshua. Laying hands on someone, it's an act of blessing them. And so Moses blessed Joshua in the role that he wanted, but that Joshua got. Moses commissioned him. That's what happens when you lay your hands on someone. You commission them. Joshua, go do it. This is a beautiful moment. Moses laying his hands on Joshua. And it resulted in blessing for Joshua and his ability to lead the people of God. And so I think the same, I know the same, will happen among us. When we, a what? A family on mission together. When we encourage others in their part that God has given to them. When we bless others in the part that God has given to them. When we cheer them on, even if it's the part we wish that we were playing When we encourage them, the gospel will flourish in this place. And together we will will rise as this mighty church, blessing and being blessed, blessing and being blessed all over the place, encouraging and being encouraged to accomplish all that God has called us to do. And listen, let's not wait until we die. You know the verse Christians love, it's a beautiful verse. It's Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin and let us run the race of endurance that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Now, we love to picture that cloud of witnesses, right? They surround us. You go, you go, you go. But it's the people who've gone before us, right? They've already lived. They've already served. They've already finished their great adventure here on the earth with the Lord. And so they're cheering us on. Yo, go, go, go. It's beautiful. But let's not wait till we die to do it, right? Let's encourage one another now. Let's say to each other, look, would you look at Jesus? He loved you so much 
He initiated faith in you. He wanted you with him so much. He, he brought you to faith. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He loves you so much. He's got you. He's going to bring this faith to completion. Look to Jesus. You and I can bless each other in that way right now. And we can submit our dreams and our plans to the Lord's plan for us. It's always the, the kind of thinking that God has sought to establish among his people. You know as well as I do how many weeks we were in Deuteronomy chapter 33. 15 of them. Because each week we looked at a different blessing that God gave to a different tribe. All these different blessings all over the place throughout the entire uh, promised land. But all the blessings would work together to form one united, one united nation through which God would bless the world. God develops the same thinking among his church, the instrument by which he intends to bless the world. But again, if we're keeping it real, let's keep it real. We acknowledge that it's not the, the kind of thinking that comes naturally to us. Even those of us who, who know and love the Lord and are indwelled by his spirit. The Christians at Corinth, they were all those things. They loved the Lord. They were indwelled by his spirit. But listen to what the Apostle Paul had to write to them under the inspiration of the spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving in a human way. For when it says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. According to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. See the the church family on mission together at Corinth. They have to be one, working together to build the kingdom that God is growing. That's God's job, right? I hope we all grasp that. It's God's job to bring the growth in the kingdom. But in order to bring that growth, God called Paul to plant the seeds, and that's what Paul did. You know his story. Three missionary journeys Each one of them, city after city, these major uh, cities of influence. Paul preached the gospel. The seeds were planted and churches came up. Then after he left, along came Apollos. And in other cities, other elders. And they watered those seeds. And so the church flourished. But they're all on the same team. All of us have to be content 
to take our place and do what God has called us to do. But here's the thing. We must take our place. Now listen, no one gets a pass. No one gets a pass. No one gets a pass. All right? If you're here and you're a believer in Christ, no one gets a pass. And this might be the most important truth to hear this morning. Because when we're talking about Moses, Moses, and Joshua, and Paul, it'd be easy to believe that taking our part is only for church leaders, right? The superstars. Not so, not so, not so. Each one of us, each one of us must take a part, the part that God has called us to. And so Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace God has given to me, like a skilled builder, I laid the foundation, someone else is building on it. Let each one, ha, ah, each one, take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, everybody take just a deep breath right now. And let me say this clearly. This passage does not refer to your eternal salvation or what will happen to you when you appear before the Lord. The Corinthians who are standing on the foundation of Christ as their sure foundation, they are secure. They will not face condemnation at the last day, and neither will you or I, because Scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody good with that? That's good news. So, so now what is the passage saying? The point is that each one, and you heard that over and over, each one must be at work building. And so the fire... To which, Paul refer, to which Paul refers here, it, it is not symbolic of punishment. It's symbolic uh, uh, of testing, a stringent testing of the work that we do. And the quality of it, it's going to be revealed. And some of it's going to last, and some of it's going to burn up. That's because those are wasted moments. That's because they had no eternal significance, because they had no gospel significance. And so these verses from Corinthians should cause every one of us in this room to pause to consider that what we do in this world does matter. God sees it all. What we are building in this world does matter. And we're either building usually one of two kingdoms. We're either building a kingdom for ourselves, or we're building Christ's kingdom. And I have to believe that what we are building for ourselves and for our glory and for our reputation and for our comfort, those just might be the building things that, that don't make it, that don't withstand the fire. In other words, if what we invest in is from us, and through us, 
and back to us, it's not going to make it. On the other hand, if what we invest in is from him and through him and back to him, then it will. And that's what scripture teaches us. Romans 13, 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. And see, that's what makes Christ the foundation of your life. When Paul says, build on the foundation that is Christ. You know that everything you have is from him. You do what you do in this life through him. And you know that what you do has one direction. It is to go back to him for his glory. From him, through him, to him. That attitude is what must guide every one of us wherever we are and whatever we're doing. From Christ, through Christ, to Christ. That makes him our foundation. Whether you're attempting to think God's thoughts after him, from him, through him, to him. Whether you are attempting to understand the purpose of God for your life from Him, through Him, to Him. If you're attempting to bless those around you, bless them from Him, through Him, back to Him. Whenever you're viewing life through the gospel, engaging the gospel, experience the gospel, celebrating it's from Him, through Him, and back to Him. Those kind of works will withstand the fire. Those will be the golden things and the golden moments. So with that attitude in mind, knowing that what we do does matter, knowing that God sees it all and that we'll all be judged, we ask, Lord, what is my part? What is my part in this great adventure that we are on together? You know the Lord has a plan for you, a part for you to play Because you know that you are in each one. Am I the only one excited about this? I just think it's so great. We don't know what it is. But the Lord does. So our job is to go about discovering what it is that the Lord wants us to do. And then submitting to his answer. And it means not letting disappointment get the best of us. Or to sideline us. Well, Lord, I wanted this. Okay, but that's not what you want for me. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's good enough, Lord. Because I know it's from you, and I'll do it through your power, and I'll do it back to your glory. And so look, when we're all praying that prayer, when we're all praying that prayer, when we all join together the different gifts and different parts that God has given us to play, we're going to bring about the will of God. And we are going to make a difference in this place that God showed himself mighty on our behalf that we might dwell here. And we are going to rise up as a mighty church. We're going to be built on the foundation that is Christ because everything is from him, through him, back to him. And then we're going to leave something strong and something lasting upon which those who come after us can build when we have all finished our great adventure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word. Father, nothing new, nothing original has been spoken here this morning. Particularly for those of us who have walked with you for many years, we know it. Lord, we know that you have a plan. We know that you have a plan for our life. We say it all the time. And yet, Lord, in reality, it's difficult often for us to submit to your plan for us. It's difficult, Lord, 
for us to live this, world, uh, live this life in this world, not building our own kingdom, but instead choosing to make choices that allow us to build your kingdom from you, through you, and back to you. And so, Lord, would you take this truth that is very old and very familiar to us, this truth that we have heard over and over and over again, and this time, Lord, or at least in a new way, help us to apply it to our lives. Make us people, Lord, that are just ready and eager to release our grip on something that you don't have for us so that we can embrace what you do have for us. And let us do it with joy. Lord, we're human. There are going to be failures. There are going to be disappointments. It's silly to deny that there won't be, but Lord, help us put those in the right place and in the right perspective. And Lord, help us view them not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of eternity and through the big purpose that you are working out in this world. Lord, make us a strong church, a mighty church, a bold church that moves out to build your kingdom in this world. And I pray that you would bless us as we encourage one another and cheer one another on to do this very thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.